Well, good morning, Gospel Community Church. How are we today? Amen. What a beautiful start, huh? Like a little cool last night for once. I don't know about you. We had our air conditioner went out. Anybody else's air conditioner go out recently? Not fun during this time. And one of the days where it poured all night and in the morning, we had our windows open all day. And so we got up in the morning and, it, and our carpet felt like squishy. I mean, it was terrible. But uh, praise God, that, that's a first world problem, right? Like so many other people are dealing with far worse. Uh, we can handle that. We're in the book of Acts and we're in chapter 5. We're going to talk about man-centered ministry versus gospel, God-centered ministry. Now when it comes to the Christian walk, there are many successes we experience along the way, right? Like when we come to Christ, we have so many stories. Each of us has our own triumphal story of hard-hearted unbelievers having their hearts softened and led to repentance. We hear stories of villages, of tribes that at one point were unreached with the gospel. Uh, at first they're hostile to outsiders, but then the gospel penetrates their village and many come to salvation. The faint-hearted finding redemption over a troubled past. The fearful finding peace in the midst of the storm. All of us who are believers, we have stories like this, that Christ has reached us because of God-centered ministry. But the Christian life isn't easy, is it? Like all along the way, we face trials and temptations and suffering. Suffering from following the ways of the Lord. And not only is there suffering, but there's temptation to do man-centered ministry, isn't there? There are temptations for us, temptations for me as a pastor to start doing things in my flesh. Something that we're all tempted to do in our own thing, to go about our own weeks and do it in our own flesh. Like we are desperate for God. We need it. Uh, you guys know that I love the Olympics. You're probably sick of me talking about it. But there was one specific event that I watched that reminded me of kind of the Christian walk. And it was, it was canoe slalom. Anybody heard of canoe slalom? Uh, basically, I don't know the difference between a kayak and a canoe. It looked like a, a kayak. But they're going down these man-made rapids. And in the process, they have these, these goals that they have to go through, these two posts that are hanging. Uh, some of them are green and some of them are red. And the green ones, you just have to go through as you're going down, going down these rapids. You just got to go right through the green ones without touching them. The red ones, you have to go past them and then paddle your way back through them in order to be successful in that run and not receive a penalty. And isn't that the Christian life? Like so often, we're having to, pedal, to paddle upstream against the current of society. And all along the way, we have this battle between God-centered ministry and man-centered ministry. And so this morning, we want to talk about the differences between those two. And also just to be reminded that even in the midst of pursuing the Lord, there is suffering. So follow along with me, Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up 
claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He, too, perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, what a reminder this morning, just even as we sang, that in Christ, when we are pursuing you, we are more than conquerors, not because of anything in us, but because of you, Lord. Thank you for the testimony of the apostles here. Lord, what an example to us of those who suffered for pursuing the ways of the Lord. And yet they didn't cower, they didn't complain, they didn't demand their rights, they rejoiced. Because they were worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. Lord, may we be worthy to give everything that we have for the sake of the gospel, Lord. And this morning, I pray that you would help us to engage with our own hearts. Lord, are we pursuing this life in a man-centered way or in a God-centered way? Lord, whether we are being paid to do full-time ministry or whether we are ministers out in the mission field, Lord. We are all called to be God-centered in everything we do. And so, Lord, would you challenge our hearts this morning to pursue you, to pursue godliness in every single area, Lord, that you would help us to uncover any stone where we might be hiding our flesh and living by our flesh, Lord, that we would surrender it to you. Thank you for your word. God, may you be glorified this morning and may you turn our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you recall, the, the apostles were arrested again because they were preaching in the name of Jesus after they were told not to. But while they were in prison, an angel of the Lord appeared and showed up and led the apostles out of prison. And told them, keep preaching the gospel, go to the temple, don't give up doing what I've called you to do, no matter the cost, keep at it, keep doing it. And when it was time for them to be brought before the Sanhedrin in the morning, that's when they first discovered that they were missing, that they had escaped. And amazingly, they go to the prison and find it locked from, from the outside, but there's no signs of them escaping. Eventually, they were found preaching in the temple just as God had called them to, and they were gently persuaded to go before the Sanhedrin. Of course, they weren't being kind. They just feared the people. They were afraid of what the people would do to them because of the work of the apostles and what they were doing. The miracles that were being performed, the people that were healed. They were making their community a better place. 
And the Sanhedrin was jealous about that. When questioning them, when, when they questioned them about their persistence in teaching Christ, Peter and the apostles said the following in verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. And that's the same for us too. Whatever we may face, we are called to serve God, obey God rather than man. And then Peter goes on to share the gospel with them. How they had, they had killed Christ. You see, they had told the apostles, like, you're trying to put Christ's death on us. And, and Peter's like, of course I am, because you are guilty. But he shares the gospel with them, how they had killed Christ, but God raised Jesus up and exalted him as the leader and savior of all. In order, Jesus came and was exalted in that place in order to give repentance and forgiveness of sin. Would this finally be the breaking point? Would the Sanhedrin come to their senses and repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus? Unfortunately, that's not the case. Look again at how they respond after the declaration of the gospel in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them be alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Here's the first thing that we need to understand this morning. Man-centered ministry will lead to failure. Man-centered ministry will lead to failure. You see, the, the Sanhedrin finds themselves over the top, enraged. They are bitterly angry to the point of wanting to kill the apostles. But then a Pharisee comes into the scene, a, a member of the Sanhedrin. Now remember, the majority of them was made up of the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were those who did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they were particularly hostile towards Jesus and his followers. But uh, Gamaliel, he was a Pharisee. He was a little bit closer to the apostles. And we don't know a whole lot about him, but he has this interesting perspective. And this was a guy that was highly respected by all of those around him. Those who had interaction with him, he was a very respectful man. He was probably, I'm guessing, a, a, a lot unlike most of the religious leaders in that time. And so people respected him. Perhaps he was a friend to the disciples. And maybe he was observing what was going on, had observed some of the teachings of Jesus, had watched what Jesus had done. And maybe he was a secret disciple of Christ's. Maybe he was on the, the verge. We don't know. Or maybe he's just doing this to earn more favor. We don't really know completely. But nevertheless, he offers up this idea of bringing up history 
and some other people who, like Jesus, had an uprising. Two men, Theodos and Judas. Now, this would not be Judas Iscariot, the one who was one of the apostles who betrayed Jesus. This would be a different Judas. That was a very common name. And, and Theodos and Judas are brought into the forefront. So if you're looking for twin boy names, there's some names that you might possibly want to take. <laughs> Probably not in light of what they, were, they did. So here's what they did. They each built up a following around them. Theodos, 400 men. Judas, we don't know. But in the end, both of them were killed. And those who followed him were scattered. And it all came to nothing. And it finished as in verse 38 says, if the plan or this undertaking is a man, it will fail. Man-centered ministry always leads to failure. So what exactly is man-centered ministry? I think that's a question that we, we need to ask ourselves and then answer. And so as I thought about it and as I look at the passage here, three thoughts on man-centered ministry. First of all, Man-centered ministry is focused on the messenger rather than the message. It focuses on the messenger rather than the message. So the, the apostles and these two men have very different interactions with people. Very different perspectives of themselves. In verse 36, Theodos said he claimed to be somebody. Hey guys, I am somebody. Come follow me. In verse 37, Judas drew people after himself. They were making, making a big deal about who they were. They were more about themselves than they were about God, the one who is truly in charge. They were all about man and none about God. The apostles, however, were not looking for fame for themselves. They weren't looking to build their ministry and build a name and build a following and have people respect them. Look at verse 29. Notice who their focus is there. Peter and the apostles told the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than man. So they were being threatened. Their lives were being threatened. They were being thrown in prison for pursuing the ways of the Lord. If they were pursuing things of themselves, they would have said, whoa, 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 okay, wait. <laughs> There's a cost for me to build up my name, I'm out. Well, the truth is they weren't after themselves. They were after God and they were compelled that they couldn't help but speak of the ways of the Lord and obey the ways of the Lord. They were not about themselves. Look at chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. It says this, and now they're praying. So they're praying, and they say this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What were the apostles doing? They were performing miracles and they were doing healing, right? But who was doing the healing and performing the miracles? It was Jesus through them. You see, they weren't buffing their own ministry. They weren't like looking for money, looking to build their names. All of their focus, all of their attention was to the glory of God. It was not on themselves. They were doing many wonderful things and yet they stayed focused on the mission. 
man-centered ministry focuses more on the messenger. We're just messengers. The apostles understood they just have a message from somebody. But the message is what you need to hear, not what, what I have to say. Here's the message from the one that you need to listen to. And look at verse 12 of chapter 5. And we talked about this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. But they knew it was through God. It was through Jesus that they were performing these things. Here's another thought on man-centered ministry. It focuses on the, focus on the miracles more than the mundane. What do I mean by that? I see in the world today, people are so caught up in the spectacular, aren't they? Like we want to see these dramatic changes happening. We love to be dazzled with talent. We love to see amazing things happen. In our Christian walk, we can get consumed by looking for the miraculous to happen. Looking for a crazy healing, a crazy miracle, a crazy prayer to be answered. And we could be so stuck on that, that if we don't get these miraculous things, we think somehow God's not there. Meanwhile, we forget the mundane. I, I've... I don't know if you've ever watched much religious television. I, I do it not for my own edification, but I do it just to try to get some hope from it. <laughs> like I'm watching it, and Nikki's like, why are you watching this garbage? And I'm like, I'm just trying to find if there's one glimpse of gospel-centered hope I could find in this. Not because I need it, just because I'm like, what are they actually teaching on there? And so often, for so many of the, the things that are on TV, it's all about like building up their ministry and send some money our way. Have you seen this? Like... Hey, there's a, we're going to send you an anointed prayer cloth that we've prayed over for 1999. We'll give you this prayer cloth. I mean, imagine if I said, hey, guys, if you like this sermon, I'm going to sell my T-shirt that I wore for the sermon after the service for 50 bucks. It's yours. Like, it's ridiculous, right? Like, wh what do I have to offer? That's disgusting, first of all. Sorry for that <laughs> image for you. But, like, a prayer cloth, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. Like, if you watch it enough, you're going to see this kind of thing. We'll send you a prayer cloth. Meanwhile, we neglect the very word of God that we have in our hands. Do you realize that what we have here are the very words that God wrote through man that we have for ourselves? He has given us himself through his word. We don't need to have the miraculous. Do I believe God could heal in order to draw people to himself? Absolutely. Do I believe that God can answer prayers that are miraculous and just unnatural, there's no way it can happen? Absolutely I do. But we can't do that forsaking the very simple things that he's given us. He's given us his word. And so I ask you, when's the last time that you have opened up the word of God? To have the Lord speak to you? Or are you waiting for him to show up in some burning bush outside of your house? He is ready to meet with us in his word. It's a, a light to our path, a lamp unto our feet. In Hebrews, Jesus says we can approach his throne of grace with confidence and find our help in time of need. When's the last time you just sat at your Savior's feet and talked with him? Don't neglect the mundane because you're looking for the miraculous. 
God can do the miraculous, but he does far more work in the day-to-day things of being in his word, of pursuing him, of having fellowship with other believers. Are you in a small group? Do you have relationship with other believers where you go deeper outside of Sunday mornings? That's the place where God meets us. Don't neglect the mundane. That becomes a man-centered thing, and we're looking for the miraculous. And so we go to the church that says they're performing all these miracles that I'm watching. And I'm like, I have no idea if that's legit or not because there's nothing you can physically see. And as we've talked about in Acts, all of the miracles that we've seen, the healings, are from people who you know. There was no doubt. They looked and they were amazed because this guy had been lame. His legs were thin as rails, and then all of a sudden he's jumping and leaping. Be careful. Be careful pursuing the miraculous, meanwhile neglecting the very word of God and the very relationship and the very understanding that we can pray to God. Last thought of man-centered ministry. Man-centered ministry, there's a focus on what you get more than being faithful. Focus on what we get more than just being faithful. If we aren't careful, we can find ourselves serving the Lord, not out of the abundance of gratitude because of what he has done for us, but because of what we think we will get out of it. Maybe it's because we love the praise of man. And we love the fact that people would come and listen to me and follow me. And we love that. We love the cheers of those around us. Maybe we want to receive and we love the thankfulness of people that we bless. Or maybe we can find ourselves doing ministry, doing things for the Lord because we think the Lord is then going to give us something in return. As if somehow we're not going to suffer because of what we've done for him. You ever find yourself in that place? You ever find yourself saying this, Father, look at what I've done for you. And this is what you allow to happen to me after all that I've done for you. The suffering that I've endured, you have the nerve to allow suffering in my life. You ever said that prayer? you said that prayer you are doing things from a man-centered perspective and we've forgotten all that he's done for us and our focus is more on what we received than on the fact that God has rescued us who am I but to do things for him you see the difference there now there's a sense where there's a reward that we are after I'm not saying that we have no thoughts of that but if we are consumed by just what we get then we are looking to get something back every time we do something good oh God did you see I put that ten dollars in the offering I better be seeing 20 bucks this week (laughs) if you have ever done those kind of things you have a man-centered mindset and we must be very careful And if you find yourself this morning with an understanding that, man, I have done a lot of man-centered things, let me just encourage you to start with repentance. Repent. And then here's the amazing thing. As we sang this morning even, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Is that not amazing? That we can be, this is, the, this, is the, this is what I want every week for people to come and experience. Number one, I want you to experience and understand that we do not have it all together. But very quickly after that, I want us all to understand that there's no condemnation. I'm not out here to beat you and make you feel like a loser. I want you to understand that you fall short. You need Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus came knowing that we were weak. Actually, he came to save those who were dead. And so we don't have to have it all together. But 
we also ha- need to have God's word penetrate our hearts, don't we? We don't want to get too comfortable and get in our flesh. Be careful of man-centered ministry. It will always lead to failure. Look at verse 39. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even find yourselves opposing God. So man-centered ministry leads to failure, but here's the great news. God-centered ministry will lead to success. God-centered ministry will lead to fruit. Gamaliel knew that if what the apostles were doing was of man, there was nothing they needed to do. Eventually, if that was the case, they would destroy themselves and things would fall apart. But if God was at the center of the ministry of the apostles, then the last thing he would want to be a part of is crucifying them. That's why he warns them, be careful. If God was in it, they could not be stopped. And as Gamaliel stated, they could find themselves actually opposing God. You see, the Sanhedrin thought they were doing the work of the Lord. They thought they were about the things of God, but they knew nothing of what God was up to. They knew nothing of what he was doing. God's centered ministry will lead to success. Is that not good news for us believers this morning? Is not that not hopeful for us? As long as we set ourselves on the straight and narrow path, focusing on the ministry of the Lord, it cannot be stopped. And here is what is so important for us to understand. I don't think there's a single person in this room who lives their life for something that doesn't really matter. Like their, their pursuit of life. They're, we don't live our lives like I'm going to go after stuff that doesn't matter. You know what, at the end of my life, I sure hope I hear, man, you wasted everything. <laughs> I don't think anybody in here lives with that kind of mindset. And the reason why is because we all love ourselves too much. Even those of us, when we punish ourselves, we are doing it because we think that's what's best for us. We are all, all of us, about ourselves. And the, the problem is sometimes we don't understand what successful is. We don't know how to define it. And so we're just going to kind of look at those statements and kind of flip them. So if man-centered ministry was those things, here's God-centered ministry. First of all, it's a focus on the message rather than the messenger. We're not looking to build up our name. We're proclaiming the, the gospel, right? Like it's all about the message. We are sent here from somebody else. Like I'm not up here in my own confidence, in my own flesh, Lord willing. I am here because Jesus is worthy to be proclaimed. He is the one that I want you to see. The scriptures are where we turn. That's why we don't come in here and read a verse and close our Bibles. Like, this is our hope. This is what guides our steps. And if I ever go astray and start speaking of things of man, somebody please remove me. Find somebody else. God-centered ministry is all about the message. And so we're not giving to other people in order to receive praise. We're not doing things for others for, to be noticed and to be lifted up and to be moved up. 
we are doing these things so that God is honored, so that we can reflect all the glory to them. Just as the apostles, they perform miracles. Peter, you're amazing. You guys are amazing. No, we're not. It's Jesus who's doing it through us. That's what we're called to do. That's God-centered ministry. All of the glory, all of the focus wants to go back to him. And if I receive no praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love what 1 Corinthians 3 says. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Who's the one worthy of glory in everything? It's God. Well, I shared the gospel with 45 people this week. Well, praise the Lord, but like nobody gets saved because of that. Now, they need to hear the word in order to be saved, but God is the one who does the work. Because the temptation for us would be we'd start counting and start tracking on our walls how many people we've led to Christ. Rather than just being faithful, God, I'm amazed that you've rescued me. Why would I not want to share this good news? Why would I not want to share the rescue that you've done for me? God-centered ministry focuses on the message, not the messenger. God-centered ministry focuses on the mundane more than the miracles. Like that's why we're not a church that's going to be obsessed with healing and speaking in tongues and all those things. I'm not saying God can't move through those. But what I do know is what he's given us and what is true. And I pray for healing for people. I pray for miraculous things to take place. But ultimately, I trust the Lord and know that I find great comfort and hope in his word alone. I don't need those other things in order for me to find hope. I don't need to have my life free of bad circumstances. In fact, if everything moves smoothly and swimmingly, that might be a word term for some of you, look it up. If we're look, living, looking to live our lives in that kind of way, we're going to set ourselves up for failure. Because then when we mess up, what are we going to do? Oh, gosh, my faith was off. Or I was a sinner. I did something really bad in order for that to come our way. And God's saying, no. Sometimes I just allow trials to happen to your life so they realize you cannot depend on yourself. You must rely on me. By the way, I'm the God that raises the dead. There's nothing too hard for me. Get your eyes off yourself and turn it for me. Sometimes that's why God allows trials. And there's trials in our lives too because this world is not our home, right? We're... If we get so comfortable with here, we're not going to want to leave. And we're going to find ourselves on our deathbed longing and grasping to stay alive. Which is great, right? Like, Paul even wrestled with that. Do I want to stay here or do I want to go? Like, I, I don't know, my flesh wrestles. But ultimately, he'd rather be with Christ. And so for Christians who have hope and we find ourselves on our deathbed, we're not fighting to be here because we understand our eternity. Don't, we find such great hope. When we stick with what he's given us in his word and in prayer. If God wants to bring miraculous, praise the Lord. But don't neglect these things. Don't neglect this. And lastly this. We focus on faithfulness more than what we get. Focus on faithfulness more than what you get. There isn't a concern on what we get out of it. We pursue the Lord no matter the cost to us. Here on this temporal soil. We understand we are already on borrowed time that God has graciously given to us. And here's the reality. He's already taken care of our greatest problem, hasn't he? What more does he need to do for us? I think that's what we get so tripped on. We're looking for God to do these crazy, miraculous things. And we lose sight of the fact that we're not called to live for this. 
He's already done a crazy and miraculous thing in our life by rescuing us from our sin. I mean, who does that today? Who says, you give me your garbage and I will give you a treasure? (laughs) You give me everything that you don't want and I'll give you everything you could possibly dream of that matters. That's amazing. He's going to big that. So right now, he's already promised that it's to come. Right now, just focus on being faithful to the Lord because he has met you. Because he's been gracious to you. Because there's no condemnation in Christ. Because he does things in you that you can't do on your own. Because he does things in you that you do not see in the world. Like forgiving others. Like being kind and gentle. Like being able to disagree and yet not blow up at somebody. Focus on being faithful, not on what you get out of it. Don't get so caught up on trying to earn God's favor. You can't earn God's favor by doing good things. And if you are looking for the praise of man, the door is going to be slammed and you're shut. You're going to be in trouble. Be careful. God-centered ministry will lead to success. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that pursuing the ways of the Lord is no waste of time? God's word says that his word will never return void. We get to participate in an unstoppable mission. Listen, they tried to kill Jesus, but he rose again. They tried to quiet the apostles. They couldn't help but obey God. And so the work carried on. And here we are standing, hearing from the word of God because of the faithfulness of these 12 men. Is that not utterly amazing to you? All the way across the the ocean. And here we are with the word of God. God's word will not return void in his Work, his ministry is unstoppable. Are you hopeful this morning? Are you living on God's mission or have you allowed man-centeredness to cloud your vision? God-centered ministry will lead to success, but make no mistake, it's not going to be easy. It's not guaranteed that it will be smooth Sailing, Satan isn't going to just roll over and die. He's putting up a fight. Look at verse 39 at the end there. So they took Gamaliel's advice, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So the Sanhedrin took his advice and they released them. Well, sort of took their advice. They didn't just let them go. Notice that they beat them and then charged them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So they're still trying to stop the work that they're doing. It's not like they fully, okay, agree. Well, why don't you just go about your days? It's like, kind of like the bully in the, in the playground. You know, it's like, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you go. And then steps out and sticks his foot out the last minute to trip you. Like that's, that's kind of what's happening here. He's like, oh yeah, okay, well you guys can go. Whoop, I'm going to try to trip you. Here's the thing that we must understand as believers. God-centered ministry will lead to suffering. 
God-centered ministry will lead to suffering. When we give our lives for the sake of the glory of God, make no mistake, it will not be easy. And you've faced this. Many of you have faced this. There will be plenty of opportunities to think about quitting. Many reasons to decide to pack up your bags and leave and be done. We have an enemy who is like a lion seeking someone that he can devour. He's not going after those on the sidelines though. He's not going after those who are in slumber, who are sleeping, who are coming to church and leaving and then saying, I love Jesus. But, the, but there's no difference in your life. Satan isn't coming after those. He's coming after those who have put themselves in the game, who have decided I am living for Jesus, who have decided I'm going to raise my kids in the admonition of the Lord, who are going to do work a different way. And if it doesn't lead to success in the company because they're doing things the right way, then so be it. Those are the ones that Satan comes after. I've been a Christian for 30 years and there have been many battles along the way. I've been in full-time ministry for 12 years. And when it comes to planting this church, I don't know if I faced a harder battle. If I can be honest with you, there have been days where I've been ready to call it quits. In the midst of a pandemic, trying to launch a church and all the different attacks that we've faced. Our elders and their families would have similar stories of what, God, what Satan tries to do to destroy what God is doing. It can leave you at times hopeless can leave you at times ready to give up. How should we respond when we find ourselves in such hard times? How should we find ourselves when we are suffering, when we are doing what's right? We're not suffering because we're doing stupid things. Like we're suffering because we are following the ways of the Lord. How should we respond? And notice how the apostles respond in verse 41 again. They left the presence of the council complaining. Is that what it says? They left the presence of the council with their tails stuck between their legs. Does it say that? They left the presence of the council demanding their rights. What does it say? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now let me just say a side note here. Because I know the temptation could be like, well, we have the rights in America. So we can stand up. And I would say I agree. Like we have, we have that privilege. But if we do it, forsaking the fact that we are believers in Christ, we're in wrong. And if we do it absent from rejoicing when we're pursuing the ways of the Lord, we better be careful. Are you not humbled by this? I am convicted when I see what these apostles have endured. And they're not complaining. They're not whimpering or whining. They are rejoicing. Because they were worthy to be counted as Christ's sufferers. Suffering for the name of Jesus. And they rejoiced at that. Hebrews 10. I love Hebrews 10. I think maybe one day we'll preach through Hebrews. But... We'll, we'll save that for another three or four years. <laughs> it says this in Hebrews 10. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So enlightened means when they came to salvation. They endured hard sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. 
like we see here. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So here's what was happening to many of the apostles. They were going to visit those in prison. And because they did that, people knew who they were. And so they would come plunder their property while they're going to visit the prisons. But they rejoice. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have no need of, en- you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Brothers and sisters, I say to you, don't throw away your confidence in the Lord. Don't allow the suffering you face to keep you from pursuing after him. Don't allow the suffering to think that somehow God has forgotten you. The suffering is there because we live in a fallen world. And we are looking for a hope that is to come in glory. We are aliens in this world simply passing through. Don't be tempted to be distracted and have your eyes turned toward your suffering. Keep them locked into your Savior who suffered and defeated death so that you would not have to fear death. Gamaliel was right. Even if someone were to come in here today and take me out, I have confidence that I would have fulfilled what God had called me to do and I will be with my Savior forever and somebody else will come fill my place. Please don't put confidence in me. Please put confidence in the Lord through me. Believer, are you about God-centered ministry? Is your primary focus on taking the gospel to the end of the earth? To show the world Jesus. That's a work worth living for. A work that will succeed even if suffering comes. And may we respond to suffering for Christ's sake the way the apostles did. Look at verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we do have in you, Lord. I thank you for the example of the apostles, Lord, who even though they faced suffering, they did not take it as an opportunity to complain, to grumble, to act like the world was over. They rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer in the name of Christ. Lord, you suffered on our behalf. So God, let us keep our eyes off of those things. Keep our eyes off of the temporary suffering that we experience here. And Lord, may our eyes be turned to you. Lord, that we would be burdened. First of all, that our hearts would be on fire for you. And second of all, to take that fire and pass it along to those around us who are dying for good news, Lord. Desperate for something positive in their life and there's just nothing out there. The world is so empty. God, bring everyone here to that place of emptiness when it comes to seeking happiness in the world. And God, let us find it in you. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Lord, would you keep continually stirring in our hearts. Lord, that you are worthy of everything we have. 
God, may we go out this week. God, keep us from forgetting what we hear from your word, Lord, that, that we would, you would expose our man-centered hearts. And Lord, draw us to God-centeredness in everything that we do, Lord. And Lord, when we suffer on your name, may we rejoice that we were considered worthy to suffer as Jesus suffered. God, let us be lights that shine bright in a world of darkness, Lord. And we thank you that you are so merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God, you are worthy of our praise this morning. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. And it's his precious name we pray.